If you haven't noticed, Michigan has a whole lot of water, an estimated six quadrillion gallons of fresh water to give you a closer estimate. The lovely Mitten State has approximately 3,288 miles of Great Lakes coastline, 10,000 plus lakes, ponds, and a 35,000 mile web of wetlands, streams, and rivers. The question is, who has the right to use these bodies of water? Well, that's where riparian laws come into play. Welcome to the Real Estate in Michigan Audio Experience podcast with your host and local real estate professional, Andrew McManaman. If you don't know what riparian rights are, let me define them for you the best way I know how, by using the state of Michigan's definition. Riparian rights are those rights which are associated with the ownership of the bank or shore of an inland lake or stream. They are the rights you get when you purchase a waterfront property that meets a shoreline. They are passed on with ownership of the waterfront property, but they can be granted, licensed, or prescribed to other owners, even previous ones. Let me set the record straight before I go forward though. Literal rights are properties connected to an ocean, bay, delta, sea, or lake. Whereas riparian rights are connected to flowing bodies of water, such as rivers and streams. Connected isn't the legal term for it, but it allows my explanations to be a lot less wordy. In Michigan and in other states, I'm sure, we refer to both riparian and literal rights as riparian rights as an interchangeable term. These rights were created to provide riparian property owners and members of the general public an outline of essential information pertaining to those riparian legal rights and limitations associated with owning a stream bank or inland lake shoreline constituted private property in Michigan. As mentioned by the state of Michigan, riparian rights are subject to frequent revision by court rulings and various ordinances that may be enacted by local governments. So please consult with a qualified riparian rights attorney for expert counsel regarding specific issues or cases. That extremely wordy excerpt probably made you a little confused, so let me simplify it by stating what your basic rights are as a riparian property owner. You can access the water or lake or stream in which you own the riparian property, which is the bank or shoreline you own. You can install a dock anchored to the bottom of the land if you so choose. You may also do the same with a boat. You are granted reasonable use of the water for strictly domestic purposes, watering your flowers, sprinkler system, etc. And you have the right of accretions, or what is also known as mother nature's little gift, which means ownership of the accumulation of sand, silt, or organic matter on your shoreline or bank. Also, Understand that if your property is close to water but does not touch it, the riparian rights associated with it, there, there isn't any. So to put your basic rights into even simpler terms, you don't own the body of water, but you can put a dock and a boat on it while having the luxury of owning any additional land that's created as water deposits soil on the shoreline. You of course have the right to fish unless the right is sold or leased. You can protect your property from being eroded by the water, but it's typically subject to approval. So many homeowners neglect to understand that riparian rights can bring on some serious issues, so it's good to have basic knowledge about it, especially if you come across the most common issues of right of direct access to lakes and streams, boundary changes, docking and mooring, raft anchors and shore stations, keyholes and funneling, 
trespassing, noises, walking along and using the lakeshore. One of the most common issues aside from recreational use about riparian rights is the ever-changing boundaries of surface water. If a lake or pond were to recede from the normal shoreline, this newly revealed land extends the riparian owner's right to include that land up to that new shoreline. That might sound all fine and dandy, but the water could always come back to normal levels or even rise higher. So don't think you can just build an unpermitted shed where the water was because that would affect the water's natural flow when the water level is restored and that would be against riparian law in most states. On top of that, most states own the navigable water and it's their responsibility to make sure nothing interferes with that, and that goes for docks too. Especially if it affects the water usage of another neighboring riparian owner. There are also instances where some states allow for reasonable use, which is included in the riparian rights doctrine, prior appropriation, and subscribe to natural flow theory. Prior appropriation defined by Legal Information Institute is water rights that are determined by priority of beneficial use. This means that the first person to use the water or divert water for a beneficial use or purpose can acquire the individual rights to the water. U.S. Legal defines reasonable use by giving each owner the right to make use of any water, provided that the use is reasonable in relation to the use of other riparian landowners. Natural flow theory is letting a higher elevated property drain water into a lower elevated property. This just so happens to be a theory that Michigan is subscribed to. Take a look at this map to see what your state's water laws are. Some of you Michiganders might be thinking about Wixom Lake and Sanford Lake that was completely drained in 2020 due to the failure of the Edenville Dam during heavy rains which also affected the Sanford Dam downriver which forced over 10,000 people to evacuate and destroyed home values as you could imagine. There is talk though that these lakes will be restored by 2025, assuming there won't be any hardships, but what does that mean for the owner's riparian rights? There isn't water, so wouldn't they all own a nice slice of acreage on those lakes? Not that people are arguing about it, at least I hope not, because at the end of the day, everyone wants their lake back, but for the sake of education, I'll touch on it, but before I do so, Full disclaimer, I am not a lawyer, accountant, or financial advisor by any means, and the information in this is for informational purposes only. This is based on my own research and experience, and I always do my best to stay up to date and avoid possibility of errors. So be sure to always consult a legal professional before making any investment or legal decisions. The biggest determining factor in this situation that I didn't mention is these lakes are artificial or man-made. Riparian rights refer to a natural water course, an artificial water course, which would be a canal, drainage, irrigation ditches, reservoir, etc., are hit or miss with riparian rights after the two court cases, Purcell versus Wirtz and Holton versus Ward. Purcell versus Wirtz was referred to as a landowner who dug a pond that ended up crossing the property line or connected to and with Holton versus Ward was a dam that was created for a wetland that eventually formulated into a pond. What is the argument here exactly? The neighboring owners didn't get to enjoy their riparian rights as their property lines shored the newly created bodies of water. Of course, these cases were for little bodies of water, but it created a larger issue at scale for the larger bodies of water. 
Think about it for a moment. The Wixom Lake that is enjoyed by fishermen, boaters, and sunset pontooners alike was created in the 1920s as a reservoir and could be argued as an artificial watercourse, which it is, but it has since become an established lake to many and revoked those riparian rights from the owners who weren't there prior to the 1920s original body of water. Meaning those few people could install docks and boats while the homeowners who were there post 1920s could not. That would blow my mind if someone went through great lengths to make it happen, but it would be a legally correct argument if these cases' rationale was brought into court. I couldn't tell you how far they get with it though, but in most situations, artificial bodies of water have repairing rights of some kind. I just tell you this fictional scenario because it's good to make sure you cover your tracks by understanding your rights as a riparian property owner. Michigan Land and Streams Association still states the riparian rights of property owners living on artificial lakes throughout the state are still uncertain. But understand that if a landowner or property owner doesn't have riparian rights, this does not mean they are unable to construct a dock, use the waters, or have general use of the land. You can always apply for a permit and be granted approval. And that even goes for waterfront property owners who do have riparian rights. That doesn't automatically mean they can build a dock. A permit is still needed for approval. So what would be the go-to remedy for violating riparian rights, as a lot of people are asking? Most times, people are just told to stop doing whatever it is that's violating riparian law. If for some reason it continues, compensation based on damages will be rewarded. As long as you aren't getting in the way of your neighbor's water use, it's safe to say you should be fine. If you are having issues with a neighbor or community member, be sure to reach out to a riparian rights attorney and get that issue resolved if civil agreements have not worked. So, what should you know about buying or selling a waterfront property? For starters, your access. As I mentioned before, you buy a property or land next to water, but it's not touching, you do not have riparian rights. That's why doing a title search for easements before closing is crucial to understand what you do and don't have access to. Number two, flood insurance. You'll most definitely want a copy of the property's elevation certificate so you can call an insurance company and become aware of how much it's going to cost to purchase flood insurance, especially if the property has lower elevation and a history of flooding. Number three, putting in a dock, of course, if you don't already have one. Depending on where the home is located, it could be quite a process to acquire a permit as it typically involves local, county, state, and federal agencies to review the application. Number four, the water frontage zone. If your home is within a thousand feet of tidal waters, you may face additional requirements, especially when building a new home on waterfront property. It could cost you a lot of money, so be sure to ask questions ahead of time to avoid any issues down the road. Number five, as I mentioned throughout this riparian rights, it's important to ask the question, do I have riparian rights? In most cases you will, especially if you're seeing boats and docks all over the lake. As I mentioned, if you are unsure or need clarification about the law, be sure to consult with a riparian rights attorney. Number six, your watering rights. As I mentioned before, most states follow the reasonable use doctrine, but in situations where water tends to be more scarce, they may not want you to be watering your flowers or connecting your sprinklers to the body of water. It's state specific, so be sure to ask about your water rights. And last but not least, number seven, the water depth. 
As a buyer of waterfront property, you'll want to understand the depth of the water, not only for the dock placement, but access to other bodies of water like canals. Waterfront property owners who have a sailboat need to have a higher dock. So being able to see the history of dredging, which is the excavation of materials under the water, will help you understand how often it fills up. As I mentioned before, it's important to have basic understanding of your water rights when purchasing a waterfront property so you know what to avoid when you occupy the home. There is most definitely endless information about riparian rights from the resource centers to the court cases. It's important to have your rights protected, so be sure you consult with a riparian rights attorney if you face any issues. Thank you as always for listening to my podcast. If you would follow, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on the platform you listen to this on, I would greatly appreciate it. Stay tuned for the next episode.